0: Today, joined by Zach Goodman to cover all the weekend action, get some reactions and recaps from the weekend baseball and volleyball games. Uh, first of all, Zach, thank you for joining me. Um, unfortunately, a little bit of an injury on, well, more than a little bit of an injury, but
1: on Saturday, um, how you feeling, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm doing well mentally. Uh, my ankle could be doing a little better, but uh, other than that, uh, it's a good day, so uh, and and for the most part, the Gorlocks had a pretty good weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: so we're gonna start. Go ahead and work backwards, starting with the Sunday baseball game, and this is the one that the Gorlocks didn't win over the weekend between the games we're gonna be talking about today. And Warburg, you know, really good team. Historically, they've played very competitive against the Gorlocks. It's been a couple of years since Webster has played them, but. Certainly in this one, they came to play. Jordan Smeevil ended up being the losing pitcher. Oh, no, actually, Andrew Perdia ended up being the loser because they tied it. Um, But Smeevil started the game. On the other side, Darren Kilpatrick was a starter for Wartburg. And Zach, you know, I was at the game doing the broadcast, and Kilpatrick, his stuff was moving um, on the mound, and it looked like the Gorlocks had a tough time squaring him early on. What did you see from him
1: starting for Wartburg? Well, I mean, exactly what you just said. Uh, his stuff was really running hard. Uh, he wasn't necessarily throwing hard, but uh, he had a lot of two-seam movement. He threw a good changeup. I didn't see any off-speed uh, like sliders or his curveball. Um, but, I, I mean, our guys struggled with it. So, uh, props to him. He did a really good job. Yeah, and, you know, I want to talk about the start
0: from Smeevil. And, you know, he's a guy who pitched a little bit in the shortened 2020 season, but then really came into his own in the summer league where he was the pitcher of the Midwest Collegiate Summer League uh, this past summer. Uh, He had, he had a pretty good start, really was only hurt by two long balls. Um, The one in the third by Parker Ridge and then another one in the sixth by Brett Keating. Zach, you know, for the first five innings, when you were back there, what did you see from Smeevil in in terms of how he was looking?
1: Uh, He looked fine. He's just, uh, he fills up the zone. He does exactly what um, he was trying to do. Um, He's, he's not a strikeout pitcher. He wants the ball put in play. We have one of the best defenses in the country. So uh, we just, we wanted to let them work. They made a lot of good plays for him. Uh, unfortunately, um, I mean, I was only at behind the plate for the first home run, um, which was – and it, it was just a good at bad by the kid. Uh, I can't remember who hit it. But they uh, – I mean, he fouled off a lot of 3-2 fastballs and, and sliders and stuff, stayed alive. And then he got a changeup that, that stayed up, and he hit it a mile. So um, other than that, I mean, he looked really good to me throws a lot of strikes. And, and that's what you ask out of him. He's that's exactly what he's going to do. He's not going to overpower you, but he's going to he's going to force you to put the ball in play and and our guys will make the plays for him. But uh, I think for, for the first start of the year it was pretty good for Jordan.
0: Yeah. And I want to actually talk about Smevel a little bit more in the long term sense. You know, obviously, if Coach Kirk is willing to go to him here in this game, following Matt Mulhern on Saturday, then you expect a big workload from him. You know, what are the things that you see that he's improved on over you know, the extended offseason season. And, and what do you see from him going forward the rest of this year?
1: Uh, I don't know uh, necessarily what role he'll play as in if he's going to come out of the bullpen or he's going to keep starting um, just because when, uh, hopefully we get Sean Beaver back, um, he'll be our number two. And, and we're going to play three, four games a weekend, uh, especially once it starts coming to conference. So he's going to see a ton of innings this year. Even if we were just playing two games a weekend, he would still see a ton of innings. Um, but I, I, uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of role he'll use. Um, uh, he'll play in. But, I mean, the, the biggest difference in his game from, from this year to – I mean, last year to this year would – I'd say his slider has gotten a lot better. It's a lot harder. And uh, other than that, I mean, he was good last year too. He, he fills up the zone, can go inside on hitters, and, and uh, he mixes it up well. So, he's got a good changeup. So, uh, yeah, he'll be a, a steady guy in our rotation. You know, something that uh, Matt
0: Woods and I, when we were on the broadcast, talked about when after, you know, so for those who didn't see it, uh, Zach got an RBI single in the bottom of the fifth inning and then ended up jamming his ankle on the base and had to come out. So coming out for the sixth, Matt and I were talking about on the broadcast how when you're a starting pitcher, and I pitched in high school, it can be tough to change catchers in the middle of a game, you know, especially. When you've already gotten to the groove with the catcher, you know, you both kind of know what's working. You have an idea of what you guys want to throw. Uh, talk about that pitcher catcher relationship and how difficult it can be to switch catchers in the middle of a game.
1: Uh, so, you know, I'm not a-, a pitcher, so I can't necessarily speak for them, but I do know that it is a big thing and uh, guys definitely get comfortable with catchers. Um, luckily for us, we have, uh, several really good catchers that so even when i came out I, I watched the replay over and i heard from guys that rj Larocco did a really really good job so uh i mean maybe it might have taken a few pitches he had going uh, or whatever it is get comfortable um but we we have a lot of talent behind the plate so it shouldn't be uh in a normal deal um going forward because we, we got a lot of guys that can step up
0: yeah absolutely you know and in the fifth inning of a game like this, I mean, do you and Jordan or whoever the starting pitcher may be, by the fifth inning, do you guys kind of have an idea of how you want to attack each batter, what's working that day, what's not working, things like that?
1: I mean, that's one of the things, especially during live nights and, and in the summer when I get to call my own games. That's one of my favorite parts of, of catching is trying to, trying to see what the hitter's doing and and kind of playing that mental chess game with him. But uh, our coach, Bill Courage, um, does that for us. <laughs> and okay. he's really, I mean, he's really good at doing it. So uh, I just get the pitches from him and, and he plays the mental chess game and obviously we don't give up too many runs um, but Smeevil and I are definitely on the same page and uh, I mean just you just you definitely get in grooves with guys the timing of it and and you know where they're going to throw it and there's a lot of confidence piece with, with each other so um, yeah in the fifth inning of your game I thought we were definitely grooving especially uh, Smeevil and I we had talked about it I mean right before I went out for my bat I was like we're rolling now like let's go and then uh, obviously I had to come out but yeah, I, I, yeah, you definitely build that relationship as the game goes on. Yeah, so going back
0: into the game long here, so Goodman single tied at 1-1, and then you had the Brett Keating home run, and then uh, in the following inning in the seventh, Matt Staker scored on a wild pitch to tie it up going into the ninth, and this is a point a little bit where – so Andrew Padilla had come into the game in the sixth after the solo home run and really – Padilla, he did start back in 2019, but hadn't pitched this deep into a game in terms of he was starting his fourth inning. Um, hadn't pitched that deep into a game since then. So, from your perspective, and I know you weren't at the ballpark, but do you think that Padilla was kind of getting toward the end of his rope and maybe shouldn't have come out for the ninth inning?
1: Uh, no, I, I disagree with that just because he's been, uh, throwing starting pitching innings when we've been building up for live nights Padilla has been one of our most impressive guys um, over the course of the fall and this spring his stuff has always been really really good he's had trouble throwing strikes in the past but I mean he barely I don't even know if he walked anyone last fall and he's not been doing it in the spring so he's been he's been really really good I don't think he was at the end of his line Um, I watched the game over I I know I wasn't there but I kind of watched the highlights and uh, it didn't really seem like he got hit that hard and and going into that inning, he had faced seven batters and gotten eight outs because he had gotten a double play um, when he had came into the game. So, I mean, he was rolling, and that's what you got to go with. And and Coach will still have tons of confidence in Andrew Padilla, as, as I do, as well. And just everyone on the team has a lot of confidence in Andrew Padilla. Um, sometimes the the ball doesn't go your way. They had a soft ground ball that turned into a double down the first baseline and a, a misjudged fly ball. And, you know, that's just – you think, it's baseball things you gotta go your way sometimes. And and if we play a close game like that, that's all it takes to um, to lose a game like that. Yeah, absolutely. And he looked
0: fantastic. Uh, Padilla did in his first three innings of work. I mean, sat down, like you said, I think he sat down his first eight batters in total um, with nobody reaching base because he came in with a guy on first. He looked fantastic. And then you go into the ninth Warburg, a couple things goes their way. I want to talk about the bottom half of the ninth um, where you get into it. Gorlocks start to make a run toward the end, and then we get a couple pinch hit appearances. One thing that I noted is that, you know, you and I, when we were doing the baseball season preview, we talked about Levi Hall a bit and how much power he's got. He, it looked like Coach Kirk had motioned for him to kind of get ready, started taking off his jacket, getting loose a bit, but they didn't end up actually going to him. Instead, they used uh, Kellen Quigley and then let Aaron Hotfit hit for himself at the end. Um, so I just want to give you your perspective on that, where Matt Woods kind of attributed to wanting a veteran at bat there at the end where you got the winning run, I think on first and the tying run on second, you want to go with the veteran hop instead of maybe turning to a freshman. Just want to get your thoughts on that. Of course, you know, not trying to make you put an opinion out there on a, on a player that's negative, but just want to get your thoughts because I thought it was an interesting spot in the game.
1: Uh, and, and there is no negative, uh, opinion on anyone because, uh, we're lucky enough that we have so many talented guys and I think Matt Woods hit the nail on the head with the veteran at bat analogy. And, you know, it's it, Levi Hall's going to get plenty of opportunities um, of this year and beyond. He's going to be a, a really, really good college baseball player for us. But just like you said, Kellen Quigley has been here for four years. Kellen Quigley is one of our best hitters in the entire program. Uh, I mean, he made a lot of starts for us in that 2019 uh, run to the world series as the DH hit really well there. Um, if you just watch him hit, he's, I mean, he's really, really good hitter. And the more bats he gets, the the better we'll be actually. So uh, I liked that spot with, with Kellen Quigley. I liked Dylan Coleman going to swing it. Um, I thought both Slaymaker did a good job. And I mean, there was just a ton of guys that I thought uh, put together good at bats in that last inning, where it was, it was definitely a battle. Um, you know, Kyler, Kyler hit the ball hard in that last inning, just, you know the credit warper, They made all the plays that they had to make, and and even Hop, you go, you go with the veteran guy in that last thing, and it, it, his spot's already up in the lineup. He's he's had four bats today, and he's been hitting the ball hard. Um, his hit count doesn't really attribute to that so far. I mean, it's small sample size in two games, but I thought um, Hop has been swinging the bat well. Um, he got a little bit out front in that uh, of that ball, I can tell just from uh, watching the video. Of course, I wasn't there, but I mean they still through it. it was a tough play hop runs really well and it was a bang bang play at first and the guy had to pick it out so if he didn't pick that that ball's kicking away and we would have tied up the game because um level was halfway down the first baseline i mean the third baseline to score scott level and then his brother adam level would have came up to with a chance to win the game and adam level had been hitting really well that day he was i mean literally was a millimeter farther down on his bat of hitting a home run instead he had a line drive that was uh, there was an impressive play in right field that a warper kid made that jumped up and catched it earlier. So, um, you know, that's baseball. Things go different ways and they don't always work out for, for the team, you know, making the move. So, uh, I, I don't disagree with anything that we did and uh, I'm proud of the guys and, and how we fought in that last inning.
0: Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big Dylan Coleman fan. I've talked to him about him several times on the podcast. He, he put together a great at bat able to, shoot one through the right side for a single to keep the inning of And then, like you said, Kellen Quigley put together a good one to draw the walk, but let's go ahead and move on to the Saturday game, which, I mean, this one can really be described in two words and that's Matt Mulhern I mean, put together a great start, you know, or at least I don't want to speak to you, but I would think, you know, as an offense, you don't got to do a whole lot when Mulhern's on the mound because he's going to, you know, really shut down the other team. You caught that game kind of give take me through Mulhern's first start of the year.
1: Oh Yeah. <laughs> We do know as an offense, we don't have to score a lot, but that's not the, a, a good mindset for us because we really need to start scoring when Matt Mulhern takes the mound because I couldn't tell you how many times he's like in the eighth, ninth inning and he's like let up one run and we're still in a tie game or something just because I do think uh, we take the, the foot off the gas a little bit because we're, we're comfortable with where Mulhern's at. But he was absolutely dominant to start, start the, the season and 14 strikeouts, uh, they all came on fastballs. He throws a really good slider through it for a strike but he was just dominating those guys with his fastball. So we, we didn't really stray away from it and it, it was working. He's gained below this offseason. He, he throws a ton of strikes. He gets really good um, spin rate. He throws a heavy fastball in a sense and it, it gets swung through a lot and guys don't pick it up very well. And yeah, he was, he was really impressive. Doesn't walk anyone, throws a ton of strikes. I mean, Matt Mulhern's uh, an unbelievable pitcher. And he showed why he has that status uh, of one of the best college pitchers, at the D three level. And he showed it in that outing on Saturday. Yeah. Not
0: much else to talk about with that one. I mean, Webster was able to put together a really nice bottom of the eighth where they kind of put the game away, but it didn't really matter because Warburg didn't score a run and obviously gave some comfort in the bottom of the ninth, but yeah, all Matt Moore 14 K's in his eight innings of work, no walks, absolutely dominant. So, you know, the next thing I want to talk about is, is the catcher situation, obviously, you know, going into the year, you're the starting catcher. Now, Hopefully you'll be able to make it back by the playoffs, but who knows? R.J. Larocco looks to be the starter at this point. Austin Gisa um, could find some time as well, possibly. You know, what do you think of, of Larocco? He looked pretty good when he came in to replace you. Um,
1: so what do you think of him? Yeah, he's a, he's a really hard worker and an incredible talent. He's come a long way just from last fall defensively, and he's already one of our best offensive hitters, in my opinion. Uh, he finds a ton of barrels. He's tough to get out. Um, he, he's a great player um, also speaking to Austin Gisa he's a tremendous defensive catcher and he threw out a couple hits in uh, the JV game on Saturday too Gisa's completely capable um, as much as I'd want uh, as as much as I want to be out there uh, I have complete faith in, in both of those guys and even if as we go down the the ladder uh, Nico Christelli is a uh, is a great defensive catcher as well and those both RJ and Nico continue their college careers and and get bigger and stronger, they're just going to keep improving. Um, So we have a, we have a deep catcher's core. And, and like I said, as much as I want to be out there, I have uh, a lot of faith and I'm excited to watch those guys play because I think we'll still be in, in really good hands.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about a little bit, you know, I imagine most of those live days and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine you're taking most of catching Mulhern and catching Beaver. So is going into Mulhern having to pitch to a different catcher I mean you can't speak for Mulhern but has RJ Larocco had a chance to catch Mulhern and how do you think that change is going to affect either of them
1: well I I do I definitely do catch most of uh Mulhern's bullpens and and guys like that um just because honestly like a guy like Matt Mulhern uh even though I got a lot of like not a lot but I, I mean I started a good amount of games my freshman year got some starts last year I don't think I'd really ever ca- caught Matt Mulhern because if Matt Mulhern was going, it was definitely going to be Joe Swanson. Um, so I've been catching him a lot this, this spring and fall um, to make sure that I'm accumulated with him. And, and I feel really good about where I'm at with him right now. Um, but I think RJ's caught him a couple times and he'll have no problem with Mulhern because Matt Mulhern's one of the easiest people to catch in the world. Doesn't really spike a lot of pitches. He basically spots you up in your glove the whole time. Um, so he shouldn't have an issue there. Uh, and, and RJ and Gisa both. Like, it doesn't matter which guy it is. Um, even if Nico comes in, we're gonna be we're gonna be just in good hands. And uh, I can't speak for Mulhern, Um, but I'm sure he's he's gonna be just comfortable with whoever's back there.
0: Yeah, so a one in one weekend from the Webster baseball squad. You guys play Wartburg again next Saturday. Um so just going into that one, are are you sending, or if you know, are you sending Mulhern against them again on the
1: Saturday game? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to look at the schedule to see if we're playing Warburg or Benedictine first. Um, I mean, uh, Looks like you're going to play Warburg on Saturday and then Benedictine on two games on Sunday. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll probably send out Mulhern again. Uh, they, they didn't really have much success against him last time. And that if that's our first game of the weekend, Mulhern usually gets it. So uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I assume Mulhern will go and, uh, and in the meantime, he'll throw a bullpen this week where either RJ or Gisa, whoever catch set on Saturday, will um, will go catch his bullpen, and they'll be in good shape. Yeah, and just and one more question about,
0: you know, the catching situation. Do you think it'll be a more of a committee where you got Gisa and LaRocco working together and maybe even a, a spot star for Costelli, or do you think it's one of their
1: jobs just for the most part? I mean, uh-huh. usually in a doubleheader, you switch catchers, but – yeah. And because we play so many games and weekends this year, uh, it used to be like more spread out, but now it's going to be oftentimes four games in two days. It's definitely going to be a committee kind of thing. But I think both Gisa and RJ LaRocco are going you know, to get plenty of their shots and, and they both earned them. So I'm excited to see what they can do with them. And uh, like I said, I have complete faith in both of them. And I'm really excited to see how they do. Um, we'll see if one of them kind of emerges as the guy um, so we'll see what happens. I, I'm hopeful. I actually had uh, a doctor that when I, when I went in after the game yesterday, they're like, yeah, your ankle's broken, you're going to need surgery, your season's over, basically kind of what they told me. So I didn't, I didn't do much sleeping last night. I was in a, you know, not a, not a great place. It was a, it was a sad day. But I woke up this morning, which the specialist, like orthopedic, kind of looked at like what surgery is going to look like and see what their opinion was. And they were just like, they, they took their own x-rays and they're like, yeah, like you're not going to need surgery. It is broken and there's some ligament damage, but it's not offset enough. I mean, I don't know enough. Like, I'm just kind of repeating the things they said to me. I don't know enough uh, about ankle and anatomy, but uh, they said anywhere from six to eight weeks that I could be back by uh, maybe even mid-April um, to, to late April. So then I would be able to play the end of our conference schedule and uh, into the conference tournament and the playoffs. So, Uh, we'll see how I recover and see if things stay up to date. But um, until then, I got to go win back a job after that because both of these guys are are really, really capable of of putting together a really good season and being a good backstop for us.
0: Absolutely. You know, I'm I'm excited. Hopefully you're able to get back out there. I love watching you play specifically. So all best of luck for you, man, healing. But uh, let's go ahead and move on to the volleyball games that took place. Over the weekend, they had one on Saturday and one on Friday the volleyball team got off to a little bit of a slow start. They were able to beat Eureka at the, in their first game of the season, but did not look great. I watched that one. Um, you know, Eureka is one of the bottom teams in the conference. So Webster was just able to handle them without playing great. And then they really got shocked against Greenville. Greenville came out and beat them in three sets. So moving on, they were able to get a nice one against Fontbonne and then moved into these two games against Spalding and Iowa Wesleyan, which Spaulding and Iowa Wesleyan kind of in that middle tier of teams, certainly teams that Webster ought to beat, but certainly no slouches. Um, I characterize it as if Webster didn't come out and play, both Spaulding and Wesleyan could come out and beat them, but Webster did take care of business. So we'll go ahead and start with the Iowa Wesleyan game. And, you know, in this one, Webster came out and, and took care of business. I mean – um, some really good blocking on the side of Wesleyan, but just overpowering hitting on the side of Webster. And, and a player who's really turned into a star on the side of Webster has been Ali Spore. She had a triple double on Friday and then again was close to a triple double on both Wednesday and Saturday. And to talk about the difficulty of that, I mean, it's been done now three times in the history of Webster volleyball. So for her to come close three times, really a spectacular, kind of outing from Ali Spore and Zach, I know you weren't there, but do you have any, any comments about the uh, webster Iowa Wesleyan game?
1: Yeah, I was, I was lucky enough to be there on, uh, on Friday night when they played Spalding, So I got uh, a little bit of a taste there uh, as it's tough to come and, and see all the stuff, but I was playing at the same time. They were on Saturday, so I didn't get to watch the game. Obviously I looked back and I talked to you about kind of what happened and uh, you were there and, um, well, I don't even know. Were you there? I don't I
0: <laughs> Yeah, I was there. I actually, uh, so this is a story we can tell on the podcast. I came out on Saturday for the baseball game, but there was some issue with the live stream. Uh, so we couldn't do the game. So I drove straight from there to, uh, to Grant Gymnasium to do the volleyball game.
1: Yeah, well, there we go. Perfect. Um, so I, I wasn't there on Saturday, but just looking back and, and how they played on Friday. To me, it's, it, it's a very similar thing in when guy when, top players leave, and when you turn over your lineup from last season, um, you, you lost all those girls, Jenna Rodriguez, Kristen Farah, um, Sam Cruzy, Jordan Price. You lost so many of your, your top players. You need people to come in and step up, and that's exactly what Ali Spore has been uh, so far this year. I know it's just it's a few games into the season, but wow, has she been impressive. Um, she's doing it all for them. She used to be just a setter, um, but now she's getting the opportunity to kills. She's digging the ball uh, and she's still getting her assist. She led, she's leading the team and assist is still. So, uh, I mean, really impressive start to the season by Ali Spore. And when you need people to step up, uh, she's done exactly that. So it's exciting to, to see out of the, the Webster girls. Yeah, absolutely. And Spore, one of
0: those where I'm trying to pull up the stat real quick. So Spore only appeared in – 21 sets all of last year and to give that contents webster played 106 sets so spore didn't even appear in a third of the sets they played last year played a lot of jv and i know she was trying to kind of um polish her game she came into high school as just a setter but really on the jv team last year really tried to come into her home as a hitter and also be able to play the back row and you know when i broadcast these volleyball games Spore just doesn't come off the court. I mean, she goes around all six rotations, and it seems like each time they rotate, Spore's doing something different. You'll see her in the back row trying to play next to Kira Gensel and digging. Then she'll go up in the front to set for the outside hitters and Bork and Wolf. And then when Bork comes off the court, all of a sudden, Allie Spore's out there hitting um, with Delaney Demon into set. So, yeah, Spore, she's really been the MVP of the squad coming – really out of nowhere i mean she was a name that was mentioned prior to the season as somebody who would worked really hard over the offseason but um really spore has become the star of this squad at least all around i mean lauren bork still has got a rocket arm alexis wolf has played really well early on as a freshman um but ali spore has really took her game to another level on the back end kira Gensel. You know, questions about the Libero situation after Kristen Farah leaves. Gensel currently leading the Slack and Dix Bursette. So she has done a great job coming in. Tori Chicolero playing alongside her in the back row has really turned this into a really deep roster, which, Zach, you and I last year had broadcasted some of these games where the roster seems so thin. Now the roster isn't as top-heavy, but seems really deep across it.
1: And it's just a, a lot of different girls getting opportunities and it's been very impressive what they've been coming out and able to do because uh, a lot of these girls don't have a lot of varsity experience. Um, really the only one I'd argue who has a lot of it is, um, of course, Lauren Borick. And she's just a freshman. So I don't even know you can say – I mean, she was a, she's just a sophomore. Obviously, played a ton as a freshman last year. But I don't even know if you can argue that she has that much experience. Um, so it's, it's, it's been good. Um, obviously, Kira played. A decent amount last year. Tori saw uh, Tori Chitaleiro saw some time in the playoff game. Uh, She'd seen time other than that, but she played as the libero in uh, their conference tournament game. But I mean, yeah, they're deep. There's a lot of girls that you you see on the list of names that are doing really good things for them, Uh, and even just watching the game on Friday night, I mean, there's a lot of girls that are stepping up, and it's definitely a deeper lineup.
0: Yeah, I mean, you and I when we would broadcast the games last year. I mean, when when Jordan Price and Lauren Bork came off the court, it was like, okay, we're just not going to score for the next six rotations. Um, But now you look, Bork and Wolf are the top two hitters, and then Ali Spore, like we mentioned, she sets for Bork, and then when Bork comes off, Spore will hit. Going deeper in the roster, Julia Fry has played well uh, coming in as the second rotation middle hitter. Um, Peyton Eichel has looked good hitting, and I know that she's a player that, that you liked as a sleeper coming into this year, Zach. Um, so yeah, it's a deep roster. Even Jordan Mueller, who hasn't played a lot of RC this year, I watched her play in the JV game last week and she looked like a Lauren Bork-esque hitter, not quite the arm power, but the same type of hitter where she goes up there and just crushes the ball to the other side. So it's, it's looking good as a really deep roster. Delaney Demon was a player that we talked about a lot on the broadcast this weekend, who Demon really didn't see any playing time until, uh, on Wednesday, she played in one set against Fontbonne. And in that one set, apparently did enough to win the job because on Friday and Saturday, she was the second rotation setter and looked pretty darn good. Had 17 assists and 16 digs in the match on Saturday. Delaney Demon, a freshman, really coming out of nowhere. And this roster starting to form into, into a really deep squad. Uh, four and one now on the season with the Wesleyan win on Saturday and the Spalding win on Friday. Um, Zach any other takeaways and long-term projection for this volleyball squad
1: yeah and you want to keep you just got to keep it going of course they lost to Greenville um, but a, a quick note is that for the first time in SLYAC history they have a girls volleyball team ranked in the top 25 and it happened the same week that they got two girls uh, volleyball teams ranked in the top 25 as Westminster came in at number 17 and Greenville at 25 so now you're talking about um, not just a slight conference that has always been decent in volleyball, but in a lot of uh, uh, sports um, aren't super competitive on the national level. Now you're talking about two teams in the same conference uh, that Webster's going to have to play a lot. And they're going to try to stack up against two teams that are can play at the national level. So we'll see how they respond to that. I think it's good to find their, their grip on the season, find their, their groove right now. And and getting the wins over the teams that they're supposed to beat, and it'll be really exciting to see how they match up um, against Greenville when they play them again, and and of course when they play Westminster.
0: Yeah, and that'll happen uh, next Sunday. They'll get Westminster at home, and then the following Wednesday, well, they'll get Greenville on the road. And you know, this Greenville team, I think, after beating Webster the way they did, they may take them a little bit lightly, and I think that'll be a mistake on their part because this Webster team playing much better than they were then. So. Uh, That's going to do it for today's episode. Again, the baseball team went one and one against Wartburg College, a Matt Mulhern eight-inning shutout on Saturday, and then the 5-3 to loss on Sunday. And then the volleyball team was able to win their match 3-0 against Iowa Wesleyan on Saturday, and a 3-1 victory against Spalding back on Friday. That's going to do it for this episode. Coming up tomorrow, we are going to preview the men's basketball game, and then on Wednesday – we're going to have an interview with Matt Coffey of the men's soccer team to preview the men's soccer season. Hope you all check out those, but that's going to do it for this one. Zach, thank you so much for joining me. It's been awesome. Go ahead and follow us on socials at Locked Up Podcast. Um, but until then, I'll talk to you all tomorrow.